And Maggie and Elizabeth, thank you very much this morning. That was a wonderful reading. The, the word thrive was there in the, in the reading that she did for us. It's from the book of Proverbs, souls whose hearts, who follow their hearts, thrive. It's the perfect word for this day as we celebrate Camp Akita, partly because that was their theme for the summer, was the word thrive. And so we're, we're going to play a little bit with what it means to be a, a person who is thriving, a person who is fully alive. Do you want to feel renewed, refreshed, re-energized? Are you ready for a reawakening, a new life, a, a new way of feeling and, and being in, in the world? I don't care if you're two or a hundred and two or somewhere in between. Are you ready to thrive? Are you ready to find your life full of, of energy and, and hope and, and joy, maybe perhaps for the first time, perhaps? The question then is, what do you give your heart to? What is it you give your heart over toward? Where do you find your love at flourishing and, and growing and, and, and enriching others? Where do you sense that, that, uh, that spirit of grace and goodness in your heart, in your life? Wherever that place is, wherever that experience is felt, that's the place where God wants you to be the person God has created you to be. Not somebody that you think you're, you're supposed to be for somebody else. Not somebody that your kids or your spouse or your parents think that you ought to be. Not somebody that has been berating over you but you ought to be or should be. But you, you at the heart of your soul, at the center of your very being, who is that person? That's the person that you're called to become. That's the person that God desires to see thrive in this world. So who is that one? Way deep down inside, there is that person that God created. It's that you that puts the gleam in God's eye. It's that you that causes God to smile when you're fully alive and fully at that place. Uh, this morning at the, at the 915 service, we sang one of the, one of the favorite songs from from Camp Akita. It's titled King's Highway. It's, it's one they sing every week. So I think they might even sing it every day some, some weeks. The kids love it. It's a great little song. Towards the end, here's one of the verses that I want you to hear. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry, but I'll, I'll share the verse with you. I don't want to end up in a room all alone. Now listen to this part. Don't want to end up someone I don't even know. It's, it's a beautiful thing that our kids are singing that at camp because I cannot tell you how many people I've seen in my ministry in my work in the church, who have become someone they don't even know. They were afraid. They were worried. They were anxious. They thought they needed to do something else for somebody else to make the others happy. And all the while kept who they really are, pushed down, at bay, hidden. Someone I don't even know. You see, because sometimes what happens is we think that in order for us to be spiritually alive and to spiritually thrive, we have to become something that we don't like or do something that we just can't stand, that somehow that's what, what it means to be spiritual. Okay, now I'll be spiritual, now I'll do this, and now I'll be more like whatever that might be. I don't even know for sure what it is, because to become a spiritual, a spiritual being is to become you. You were created by the very Spirit of God, and when you become that person, then God smiles and God is, is overjoyed when we simply allow ourselves to be. Now, however, there's a however here, to be sure. Again, whether you're two or 102 or somewhere in between, sometimes becoming who we are, following our dream, taking on whatever vision we have for life and for the world means that there are some difficult steps to take. 
Becoming you doesn't mean it's all easy and smooth and, and no problems at all. No, sometimes there's just some tough stuff you got to do a little bit of every single day. When I was in seminary, we were required at the school that I attended to take two years of Greek and also a year of Hebrew. I signed up for Greek in my first semester. I was going to get the first two years done and enjoy the last, the last year, not have to do any languages or anything. About a third of the way into the semester, I was getting what my professor called a low C. That, that was a very gracious grade. It was probably more like a low D and in, in, in almost on a, on a failure. And I decided, I, I went to him and said, I'm going to drop out. I'm just so lost and so confused and not doing well. So I stayed out of uh, languages for a year. My second year, again, I signed up for first year Greek. And I sat down with the professor and I said, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to do a little every day. He said, in my, in my career as a teacher, I've seen one or two or three students who were just naturally gifted for languages. All the rest of us, including me, he said, we just have to do a little bit of work every day. If you'll sit with your text, your vocabulary, the grammar, and just do a little every day, you'll be fine. You'll get the grade that you need. I'm not worried about it a bit. And it turns out he was right about that. Now, I, I'm, I'm no scholar. I still have to work hard when I get, dive into my Greek or Hebrew texts. But I'm so grateful for the way he allowed me to discover a way to follow in my call and, and, and along the way learn a little bit about this sacred word we call the Bible. I recall a few years ago sitting down with one of my associate ministers who, in my mind, had been doing great, great work. She asked if we could go out for a cup of coffee, though, and so we did, and, and she said, I'm just so concerned. It's, this past year has not had quite the energy and excitement that I thought it ought to have, and it, it really hasn't quite gone. It's not been as, and this is the word she used, hasn't been as flashy as I wanted it to be, and I smiled and said, you know what I appreciate about you? I, if you would have asked me before this conversation started, how's your ministry going? I would have said, you are literally thriving. It's going wonderfully well. What I see when I see you is somebody who's willing to show up every single day and do the work that needs to be done. Those, sort of, those kinds of ministers get more done over the course of their life than anybody who's flashy and bright and all, all that sort of thing. In fact, sometimes the flashiest are the ones who burn out the soonest. I smiled and said, keep doing what you're doing and let's enjoy watching your ministry and your life as it continues to thrive. So you see, thriving then is becoming the one that God calls you to be while recognizing at the same time that there, there will be moments, maybe even days, when we have to do the hard work that's required of becoming who we are. I, I do believe that Camp Akita helps our young people discover the strength of this lesson. Sometimes in school or work, it's the flashy ones who get all, all the attention. But at Akita, Everyone is known. Maybe you know this already, but I want to remind you, every kid that gets off the bus, when they get off that bus and they're greeted by their counselor, they are called by name. By the end of the night, every kid in that cabin knows each other by name. Throughout that entire week, they are called by name. What a huge gift that is we're giving to many kids, some of whom never hear their name, called in school or at church or at Little League soccer. At Akita, they're known. You know, the, you know the, the line from the old Cheers song, don't you? The TV show Cheers. Sometimes you want to go. How's it go? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Now, we don't serve beer to the kids, just so we're clear. But that's it, is it not? Sometimes you just want to go. 
In fact, church growth experts say that a church will grow when the members of the congregation feels like there are seven people who know their names. All it takes is seven, not 7,000, not 700, not 70, seven. If there are seven people at the church who call you by name, you feel as though you're connected to that place. It's such a simple, easy gift to give. That is, that is Akita. I heard a young adult who's a member of our church well into his late 30s now say the other day that the lessons he learned both as a counselor and as a camper at Akita give him the energy he needs now to deal with the challenges that are there in his work, his family, even his own personal life. He said, Glenn, sometimes I just sit down and I take a deep breath and I remember Akita, I remember hiking down to rock stalls, I remember just sitting on the edge of the lake, I remember going to, to uh, Bald Eagle, I take that deep breath and I remind myself that God already loves me and loves me as I am. And that's enough to make it through the day. That's what our camp has been doing, not just for that one young man, but for literally for thousands, I would even say tens of thousands. Akita is the place where we invite, we say this to the kids, we invite you to leave the world behind. Leave all the stress and anxiety and fear and worry and all the, all the things that, that we pile on top of ourselves that other people pile on top of you. Leave that down the, at the end of the hill and just come on up to Akita and experience the joy of God's life and God's love. What we say sometimes is, you know, just get away from the real world and come to here to God's world. But I would actually flip it around and say, when you come to Akita, that's the real world. That's the world that God intended for us all to experience. A place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where everyone is welcomed in, in the name of Jesus Christ to be a part of this one family, this one planet, this one human race. I loved what one of the counselors said this morning. There were several who shared stories and told stories, campers and counselors. One of the counselors, a young woman, said, at Akita, weird is cool. That's become my favorite quote. I'm going to put that on Facebook. I'm going to keep that in my little daily reminder that weird is cool. Who you are, it might be weird to somebody else, but nowadays, especially at Camp Akita, weird is cool. What a beautiful gift that is. In a, in a culture that constantly tells us to get more of this and more of that and more of something else and, and, and bring all these things in to, to make sure everybody sees you and knows you and recognizes you as a person of success, in that kind of an overwhelming culture, Camp Akita says, take a breath. Say a prayer. Sing the song. Know that you are known and are already welcomed already welcomed by God for 70 years now. Akita has been the place where everybody knows your name. Now, we've got to be clear, though. The, the second half of the proverb that Maggie read for us points to some of the problems that come when we fail to allow our hearts to guide us. Fools bent on evil dislike matters of soul. Fools bent on evil. Now, now the, the old Hebrew uh, wisdom school, they like to say things pretty harsh. That's a bit of a harsh saying. It's, it's, the first half is so precious, and the second half, there's that word evil in there. But it, I guess it would kind of soften it if we said something like, oh, you know, uh, fools that follow, the, or people who follow their hearts thrive. Uh, and if you can't, it's okay, don't worry about it. We'll talk, talk to you later. It doesn't quite have the same kind of feel that, that the original text carries. So I'm not too worried about the, the word evil in there this morning, but I want us to think about this. What's the opposite of thriving? What does it mean to be doing something other than 
thriving? Well, I, I looked it up. The dictionary said the antonym would be declining or languishing or deteriorating. And what does it look like when our souls are in decline, when they're deteriorating? Well, John Ortberg, who's a good preacher, he says that we become angry, sarcastic, mean, gossipy, isolated, domineering, and attacking. Ouch. <laughs> Do you know anyone like that? Have you found yourself falling into those traps? Uh, another theologian, Leonard Sweet, one that I read, he says that when our souls are in decline, we become unhappy, cranky people who don't praise much of anything. People who are like that are the ones who have the hardest time offering a bit of praise, offering a smile to another, a thank you and a please. That's what it means for your soul to be in decline. My, my great-grandmother was named Nellie Pearl Cress. Isn't that a great name, Nellie Pearl? We, we called her Gigi. But Gigi was kind of that person. Gigi, short for great-grandmother. Gigi was sort of that person who just seemed to kind of be unhappy all the time. You know, I mean, just seemed to be unhappy about everything. Always had a comment and, and rarely said something positive. He kind of had to push her to say, say something positive. I remember the first Thanksgiving dinner that my wife prepared for all of my side of the family, and Gigi was the one, the one in the kitchen going, I don't know that that, that turkey's edible. <clears throat> Didn't exactly endear herself to Julie in that, in that comment. I remember when I was 14 years old, I showed up at Gigi's house, hadn't seen her for a few months. I'd been growing my hair out long. It was down on my shoulders, and and she just shook her head and said, I didn't know that my great-grandson was going to become a hippie communist right before me. <laughs> my grandmother, my grandmother, her daughter, pulled me aside, and I'll never forget what she said. Sometimes Gigi is happiest when she's unhappy. <laughs> Have you known someone like that? It's, it just seems as though there's nothing good happening in the world. It's all bad and everything's falling apart. What we need in response to that, that soul in decline, that mean spirit, that angry, gossipy, pushy, attacking kind of soul is a renewal of spirit. Do you remember Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. The key word in there is the word joy. Restore in me the joy of thy salvation. It's not about how to get into heaven or how to stay away from hell, no. It's about how to have a full life right now. Restore unto me the joy of life. According to tradition, King David wrote these words after he was confronted for his affair with Bathsheba a woman who he, whom he abused, the wife of another man, a woman who would have in antiquity had no choice but to do what the king forced her to do. When, when David is confronted with his sin, with his horrific abuse and action, tradition says he wrote these words, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When joy was gone from his life, he, he forgot what it was. He forgot who he was and what it was that God had called him to. He could use another human being and cast it aside if, if he wanted to. He could take someone else's wife and just ignore the fact that he was breaking one of the commandments. He got confused about life itself. He'd forgotten the joy of life. What we're talking about here 
is rediscovering, whether we're two or a hundred or two or somewhere in between, rediscovering what it means to live with joy at the center of who we are. Sometimes this can affect a church. Fred Craddock, the great old preacher who's in the resurrection now, once talked about a church he knew in Oklahoma that he said suffered from akdia. Do you know that word, akdia? It's Greek. It's translated sometimes as sloth. It doesn't really mean laziness. What it means is to no longer care. Fred said that church lost its amen. They no longer cared. The people in the congregation fought over everything from the furniture to the carpet to the candles to the hymns that they sang. They just didn't seem to care. They'd forgotten the joy of salvation. So I meant what I've said. I don't care how young you are or how old you are, how close you might even be to death. Are you ready to thrive? Are you ready to be alive again? Because it can happen even, even as you prepare for death. This last week, we said goodbye to our dear friend, Bill Milkey. Many of you know Bill. Long, long, long time, many decades member of this congregation, a leader in this church, was a part of the search committee that called me to come here to Columbus, <clears throat> served this church so well, loved his family, loved Camp Akita. I got to see him twice last week before he breathed his final breath. It was amazing, though. He kind of apologized. He said, you know, I, I, I know that my life is over, and it was hard for him to speak. He was on oxygen. It was tough for him to talk, but he had this big smile on his face. He said, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed by my family's love. I'm just overwhelmed by all the many things I've experienced. I, I want to keep living. I do, but it looks like I'm not, but I, I just have this, this sense of joy and, and, and this sense of being alive, even though I know I'm working toward my last breath, and he kind of caught himself, and he said, it's going to be weird, but come here and give me a hug, Glenn. And I gave him a big hug, and he said in my ear, don't forget that I love you. Tough, old, mean, old, sometimes cranky and pushy Bill Milkley at the end of his life. No, he knew, and he knew throughout his life. He knew, and he knows in the resurrection that our souls will thrive when we become the one that God wants us to be and we allow that love to guide us in everything we do. Are you ready to flourish? Are you ready to thrive? Maybe perhaps for the first time, souls that do, they follow their heart. Amen.